The GIST is sponsored by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer and save up to 80% compared to a postage meter. Sign up for a no-risk trial and a $110 bonus offer when you visit Stamps.com and use the promo code THEGIST. It's Wednesday, March 25th, 2015. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca, speaking to you from my ancestral homeland of Oceanside, New York. I've just gotten back from Oceanside High School where I spoke to my former high school. In fact, I even was nice enough to invite the students of my former high school to listen because every once in a while I would just go and speak to my former high school and the school was unkind and unforgiving. It's always a fascinating experience to go back and to see the four or five teachers that are still there and then to call them Andy instead of Mr. Morris. This is a great kind of thing if you ever get the chance to do it. If you're ever asked to go back and do some version of the Scared Straight program, don't make the same mistakes. It seems like most of the people there were doing a don't make the same mistakes as I am speech. I was doing a here's how to become a journalist and podcaster speech, a technology that didn't exist when I graduated and will probably probably not exist in anything close to this form when you graduate, but okay. On the show today, I speak about McDonald's in its various incarnations, and I will also play a blast from my past, which wasn't high school, which was a bit post-high school, but still contains the kernel of what you hear today. But now, speaking not of kernel, but other fast food spokes thing clown, we go to Ronald McDonald and what can be done to save the arches. Barry Klein is a consultant. His firm is Klein and Company. You may know him. Well, if you know him, it's probably as the guy who created the iconic character, Ronald McDonald. Hello, Barry. Hi. Do you still care about the fortunes of McDonald's? Do you track it? Is there, does McDonald's have any sort of soft spot in your ha- heart? Of course I do. Uh, I was affiliated with that company for a very long time. I was also a franchisee in New York. so. I still follow McDonald's very closely, and I still have a lot of friends who are franchisees. Really? So was your main job marketing executive who dreamt up this stuff, or was your main job running the restaurants? Well, at that time, my main job was running restaurants, and uh, I really didn't like flipping burgers for a living, so Uh I went back to the uh, marketing business. And how soon after... Uh, you worked in a McDonald's or were running McDonald's, did you come up with the character? It was long before. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I was uh, in an advertising agency in Washington, D.C. I had a lot of clients that were on the local Bozo show. Willard Scott was the local Bozo, and uh, Willard and I put the character together after they took the show off the air in D.C., And as a result, the store sales in D.C. were higher than the rest of the country. So McDonald's hired me uh, as the national advertising manager. And that was the time that we did the You Deserve a Break Today. Yeah. So Bozo was a little like McDonald's in that there were different ones in different markets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ronald McDonald, every market had a, a local Ronald McDonald, that did personal appearances at the stores. 
In fact, that's still the case. And this gets to what I really am very interested in. McDonald's, uh, at least on a national basis, not doing so well. I suppose individual franchisees might be turning a profit, especially as compared to Smashburger or or Chipotle, which isn't even a burger shop. But what qualities of McDonald's was Ronald McDonald encapsulating? What were you trying to communicate about the store then? And then we'll talk about if it still has those qualities today. It's a place for kids. Kids have fun there, and kids like the food at McDonald's. It seems today, though, that it's hard to get back to that because parenting is a lot different from it was, than it was then. Absolutely. And it seems that you have to not just get kids to say, Mommy, I want to go to McDonald's, but you have to get parents to believe that they're being good parents by taking kids to McDonald's, and maybe that's the biggest hurdle. I'm sure it is a hurdle. And and the the parents I think are buying those the the new kids' meals, the ones with the fruit and yogurt and all the rest of that. And I'm not sure the kids like it very much. Right. How involved have they consulted you? I mean, they've had the, every other year McDonald's has a summit and they weren't scheduled to have one, but they had a change with their CEO. They had a summit this year They're They know that their stock price is getting hammered. They know that um, other businesses in their category are perceived as uh, much better. Do they ever consult you? Do they tap the the old brain trust ever? No, I don't. Uh, you know, I, I don't have much, uh, much contact with uh, headquarters, although I live around the corner. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think the top management of McDonald's uh, is focused on what can we do to get customers back that aren't coming as often anymore. Mm -hmm. I honestly don't believe that people are avoiding McDonald's completely. I think they're just going less. Do they have to redo their basics with the hamburger? Does the hamburger have to be communicated to the public as being healthier than it is now? Well, I don't know how they could do that without lying. Okay. (laughs) It becomes a question of... How far can you go to change your consumer proposition to get back to the kinds of sales that you were doing before? You know, and and the campaign that says I'm loving it, I just don't understand it because people aren't loving it anymore. I was loving it (laughs) back before Smashburger opened on the block. Yeah. I still love it, you know. I know. Uh, are you in New York? Yes. Okay. Have you been to Shake Shack? Yes. That kind of change from the normal McDonald's business would have been wonderful for McDonald's. And they could have done it. Oh, easily. But it's not uh, too late. They haven't. So they missed that trend, but they could get there in another way. You're absolutely right. Yeah. 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 You're absolutely right. And, you know, they, they have such deep pockets. They can test anything. It doesn't matter what it costs to test it. You know, whether the franchisees will be able to modify their stores to accept it is another issue. But they got deep enough pockets to help the franchisees do that. One, one last question. Grimace and Hamburglar, were they yours too? You should have been in the room when the agency guys and I sat down 
and de- tr- tried to develop all those characters. <laughs> I mean, think think about how much fun that was. <laughs> what kind of voices should they have? The Hamburglar, we decided, was not going to talk. He was just going to say, rubble, rubble, rubble. Rubble, rubble. Yeah, you got a bunch of adults sitting around a, a table talking about characters like that. The Grimace. <laughs> And all of those, those, it was it was just a blast. What was Grimace supposed to be? Like a gumdrop? The Grimace was a guy who took all the shakes and and drinks uh-huh. away from everybody. Ah. Okay, and he was just a blob, you know, a big purple blob. He started out as a villain, but he's since become rehabilitated as a lovable oh, oh, gumdrop. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. All all of them had some lovability to <laughs> yeah uh although they were started out as bad guys barry klein the former mcdonald's marketing executive who created ronald mcdonald who owned many mcdonald's thank you barry okay take care You probably think the best time to go to the post office is before work, or right after work, or during lunch, or to go to the post office in your old hometown, because it's smaller and friendlier and seems more human-sized than those big, impersonal post offices in the big city where you move to, unless you're from the city and you move to the town, in which case it makes no sense. Anyway, you're wrong about all of that. Nope, 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 and nope. Everyone goes to the post office then. You should do the things that the smart people are doing as regards the post office. Going to Stamps.com. Stamps.com allows you to access all the services of the post office right from your desk. You could buy official U.S. postage and you could print it right from your printer, right from your computer. Hand it to your mail carrier. If you're in your hometown, say, hey, buddy. He'll say, how'd you know my name was Buddy? You say I went to high school with your sister. You mean sissy? That's right, buddy. Why does everyone come from Mayberry in my example? Anyway, the mail carrier will pick up the stamps that you printed via stamps.com. Right now, we have a no-risk trial offer. This includes a $110 bonus offer, a digital scale, $55 in free postage if you use the promo code The Gist. So go to stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage. Type in The Gist. That's stamps.com. Enter the gist. Go Sailors. There are so many mysteries, so many questions that are so hard to solve. Some famous ones include, what is the sound of one hand clapping? How many angels can dance on the head of a pin? And to those conundra, let us now add, should I eat a frickin' egg yolk? The Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee, which is the group that provides the scientific basis for dietary guidelines, said five years ago, yolks are bad, cholesterol bad. The group's finding now says that the diet no longer needs to look at cholesterol as a nutrient of concern. How are these decisions made? Well, joining me now is Marian Nessel, professor of nutrition, food studies, and public health at New York University. She's been called, after Michelle Obama, the most important nutritionist in the United States, although she actually has degrees to back that up. Hello, Marian. <laughs> Hello. So before I, I want to eventually get to how government panels make these decisions and how they've changed our diet. But can you give me the lowdown on egg yolks? How bad are they? How necessary it is, is it to avoid them? 
Oh, the science of nutrition is so unbelievably complicated that there's no really quick soundbite answer to that. Cholesterol in the diet is not the same as blood cholesterol, and some people's blood cholesterol rises very quickly when they eat a lot of dietary cholesterol. Other people's don't. So that's complicated, and today everybody's taking statins. So the statins kind of interfere with the whole business of cholesterol, and dietary cholesterol is much less important now than it used to be. So the committee is recognized, the committee that deals with the guidelines, a group of scientists, nutritionists, physicians who are appointed to deal with these kinds of questions, looked at the evidence on blood cholesterol going up as a result of dietary cholesterol and decided that the evidence isn't that good anymore. So now that egg yolks have been invited to come back from out of the shadows, no longer have to give passwords to go into these shadowy underground egg yolk clubs. They've been welcomed back into the society of foods that are okay to eat in a similar way that fats have five years ago. That same board got away from recommending a low-fat diet. Is there a consequence? Because I've been reading that as Americans have cut fat intake, possibly because we've been told to cut fat intake, carb intake has gone through the roof. Yeah, well, you're reminding me to talk about the role of the food industry in all of this. Uh, The egg industry for decades has lobbied against any kind of restrictions on dietary cholesterol because the biggest source of dietary cholesterol in American diets is eggs by far. Although all animal products contain cholesterol, vegetable products do not. But egg yolks are by far the largest And so there's been a lot of lobbying, and not only lobbying, but the egg industry has sponsored studies to demonstrate that eating two eggs a day has no effect on your dietary cholesterol. And the other questions that you're asking also have to do with the role of the food industry in all of this. Then food companies and food trade associations are extremely worried about the dietary guidelines because if the dietary guidelines suggest eating less of their products, they're going to lose sales. Right, but shouldn't the scientists who make these guidelines stand above that? Do they stand above that? Uh, Some do, some don't. Some scientists work for food companies. Scientists on the very panels that are telling us what to eat? I think this panel was actually cleaner than Mm -hmm. most. You know, I can't second-guess the panel or speak for it, other than what the panel wrote in its research report, this 600-page document that discussed the research basis of the kinds of suggestions they were making. I think it's really important to understand that the panel does not write the dietary guidelines. The agencies, Health and Human Services and the Department of Agriculture, write the guidelines. So they take the committee's research report And in the past, they have pretty well gone along with what the committee has written. But this year, I think it's up for grabs. I also should say that in the past, the dietary guidelines were written by committees, but that changed in 2005. Uh, under the Bush II administration, when it became much more politicized. I'm normally a skeptical person, and yet I think a lot of people are. Yet when it comes to official government dietary recommendations, I 
haven't really questioned it before, but I've taken those things as close to gospel. You know, I'm very skeptical when someone touts uh, antioxidants or a grapefruit diet or some new faddish thing. But when the official government panel, who you would figure would have a little bit of caution baked into it already, when they say, look, we've studied it, egg yolk's bad, I tend to think, all right, they've studied it. It's settled. And I guess what I should be doing is taking that with a grain of salt, although the official no, government no, guidelines on that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anything but salt. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Is that well, right, though? I well, mean, what can yeah. I tell you? Yeah. I was on the Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee panel in 1995, and we were instructed in way back in the day to give the best advice we possibly could based on available science. We all came into that committee with pretty strong ideas about what we thought was important about uh, dietary guidelines, and we then horse traded. What were your horses? What did, what did you want to trade? Well, I didn't want the dietary guidelines to say bad things about vegetarian diets. I'm not a vegetarian myself, but I think vegetarian diets are healthy. And the guidelines had been pretty negative about them in the past. I wanted them to be as clear as possible in the instructions that they gave. If they thought that people should be eating less meat, I wanted them to say that. If the committee thought that the evidence showed that eating a lot of sugar was bad. I thought it should say eat less sugar. And I got some of that, but not all of it. The most controversial one was the alcohol guideline, because by that time, there was substantial evidence that drinking small amounts of alcohol on a regular basis was a a preventive factor in heart disease risk. And that had been shown in so many studies that it could no longer be ignored. Mm -hmm. And so our committee said, if you don't drink, don't start. But if you do drink moderately, that's going to help you with your risk for heart disease. And that was enormously controversial at the time. That was the big one. All right, here's my last question. I'm taking you out for breakfast at the Washington Square Diner down there near NYU. I'm ordering an omelet. Why don't you have one? Are you getting yours egg white or not? Oh, I get a regular one. I've always eaten eggs. Mm. You know, everything in moderation is my byword. I think it's really easy to eat healthfully, uh, and I do. And you can eat healthfully eating what you like. I agree. Everything in moderation. Everything in moderation. Bacon? Absolutely. All right, there you go. Life's too short. <laughs> Marion Nessel, professor of nutrition, food studies, and public health at NYU. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And now the spiel, those darn socks. So as you know, I spent the night in my ancestral homeland, the very birthplace where I was, uh, I was birthed in this place. I don't mean I was birthed in a hospital and then brought back here. I was born in the driveway of the house that my parents still live in, and they are still here half the time. And I was going through a couple of cassettes, because that's what you do when you want to remember the 80s and earlier. And I found a tape, and here it is. This is the first recording... I ever made with an attempt to actually become a professional broadcaster. Now, I had played around in radio. I had been a caller as a 10-year-old to the local Jets radio station. But this was after I graduated college. 
And there was no communication courses there to speak of because, you know, they wanted to prepare their graduates for things like being doctors and lawyers. So I came back to Long Island in that year that I think is now pretty common where you wonder what the hell you're going to do that you don't have the structure of a college around you. And I took some, I guess you'd call it adult education courses. And one of the courses I took was at WRHU, which is at the Hofstra, Hofstra University here on Long Island. And I think Joel Meyer actually ran the Hofstra radio station 10 years after I took this adult education class. And I remember the guy who taught the class was this ex-DJ from the country music station on Long Island, only they had just axed the country music station on Long Island. So my class was aspiring sports journalist me and like seven devout country music fans who just love this guy, Ed. And this means Ed could say anything, you know, as long as he worked in a reference to like the Oak Ridge Boys or whatever, and they would eat it up, right? He once met Conway Twitty, whoop-de-damn-doo, as they say in country music and in sports, actually. And Ed did this move where he would say, now you don't get this. And he would gesture with his fingers. He'd make a broad sweeping motion in front of his body until the forefinger and the middle finger touching each other would be pointed right at his esophagus. And he would say, now you don't get this, meaning his voice, overnight. You've got to work for Another sweeping gesture and the point, this. And all the country music fans were like, yeah, I want to work for that. Or I'm just so sanctified to be in the presence of that, of Ed's fingers and his voice. I was like, what about NPR? You like NPR? NPR is boring, Ed told me. All right, what do I know? I don't know where Ed is now, but I do know what I'm about to play you is embarrassing and has a lot of my origin story, right? This is when I was first bitten by the radioactive spider. And I guess I'll just set it up by saying WFAN, the all sports uh, radio station, had these, they still do these 2020 breaks. And back then they used to start with a pun, you know. I think one out of every four of them were Rangers skating on thin ice. And then there was another entity that one could get hired to work for, and a few people I know did, sports phone, where you had to give the score. And one of the things is you had to change the verb from beaten and defeated to other things. So with that in mind, I took it way too far. Here now, circa 1995, six, Mike Pasca tries radio. The Bronx Bombers scored early and often yesterday as they darned the Sox seven to one. Pitcher Andy Pettit collected his fifth win of the season, tops in the American League. Wade Boggs added his first home run of the season, a solo shot in the fourth. In keeping with the Yanks and Knicks, the Mets also in action against a Windy City opponent. Two days ago, the Mets lost in the bottom of the ninth on a Sammy Sosa home run. Yesterday, the Mets lost in the bottom of the ninth on a Sammy Sosa home run. Jerry Depoto yielding the shot that gave the second city their second win in three games versus the Mets. Mets hurler Pete Harnish went six innings and gave up four runs, but it was not enough to tame the Cubbies, winners by the final of 5-4. to four. Running down yesterday's baseball scores, Cincinnati ousts San Francisco 12-6 behind Eric Davis's grand slam. San Diego over St. Louis 10-4. Colorado hooks the Marlins 5-4. Montreal blanking the Astros 5-0. Pittsburgh 4, LA 2. Atlanta over Philadelphia 11-8. In the AL, the Blue Jays blew out the Red Sox 11-4, Texas squeaking by Detroit 3-2, Milwaukee handing it to the Orioles by a 12-1 margin, KC 2, Oakland nothing, Minnesota over the Angels 5-2, and Cleveland sinks the Mariners by a 2-0 count. 
This is Mike Pesca with updates every half hour, 88.7 WRHU. So a little self-critique here. Mike, parts of speech aren't verb noun pun, okay? Pull back a little bit. Did like darn the socks. The voice, they'll drop. He'll drop on its own. You don't worry about that. The New York accent, people find charming. All right, it's a little embarrassing to play that, but it is my youth. It is who I am today, and I am sitting in the house of the driveway where a little me was born all those years ago. And that's it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi is the producer of The Gist and a really easy grader. You're going to want to sit up front, though. She writes really small. Joe Meyer, managing producer, he's, he has this weird seating chart where every year the really pretty girls always wind up right in the front row. It's the strangest thing. Andy Bowers, our executive producer, is really, really strict. You do not want to get on his bad side. But whenever the weather turns good, he likes to do class outside. The Gist is part of the Panoply Network. The Gist and They Might Be Giants have the Not A Movie Challenge. So with the hashtag Not A Movie, come up with a movie name and They Might Be Giants. If they are inspired by your name of your fake movie, which does not exist, if they are so inspired, they will write a song about your name. Now, a lot of the titles, funny titles in and of themselves. Funny's good. Go for the poetic. Go for the easy poetic, the not straining too hard poetic. That's an easier instruction than it is thing to pull off, right? Like, what's the not straining too hard poetic? I don't know. Bag. Bag could work. Soy sauce. Yeah, sure. Can someone make a song about soy sauce? Someone could definitely make a song about soy sauce. Is there a movie called soy sauce? Why wouldn't there be a movie called soy sauce? So I'm just urging you. As much as you want to come up with the cleverest, punniest title, and you just heard me darning the socks, pull back a little bit. Hashtag not a movie. Give a title for a real movie, one that maybe could lend itself to a real song, and they might be giants, just might turn it into a real song. The gist, normally a tough grader, but if you hand in a video report, you almost always get an A. Strangest thing. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Julia Turner from Slate's Culture Gab Fest. And this is Dana Stevens, another co-host of the Culture Gab Fest. And uh, we are here to entice you to listen to this week's show, on which Steve and Dana reveal that they hate Eloise. Dana, how could you hate Eloise? Uh, well, put it this way. We're reacting to a documentary, a new HBO documentary about Eloise. And it's true. Stephen Metcalf and I do question the reverence for that character in children's literature. Is she an empowered feminist or a spoiled brat? Find out on this week's Slate Culture Gab Fest. Also, Slate Plus members, you will get to hear Dana Stevens do a Bob Dylan impression. So uh, this week's episode is well worth your while. Pony up for that one.